there'll be two readings this morning. The first is from Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The second is Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Good morning, everyone. Will you pray with me, please? Father, I ask that you would speak to everyone in this room, that they are your children. You chose them. You love them. You have a plan for them. And I pray that you would pour out your blessing on them, that there would be no doubt in their mind anymore. So come and speak. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, well, today is part two of a sermon called Family Blessings in our Upgrade Sermon Series that I started last week. Uh, and I introduced that light topic of our family influences and how they affect our lives. The scriptures describe them as generational blessings and generational curses. And it requires that we consider our parents' impact on us and our grandparents' impact on us. And the topic is both intense and mysterious. It's intense, and each of us have different tolerance levels of facing these negative emotions and experiences that may have touched our lives on the negative side. Even on the positive side, the idea that we have to take ownership of the blessings that have been passed down to us, that we would experience them in full, is new. It's not a normative concept. Um, and many of us would just love to skip to the blessings. If Christ has come and he's given all these things, why do we need to talk about the curses? Why do we need to talk about the negative things? Well, it's very much like healing the body. It's January, so we've all fallen short of our New Year's resolutions and um, our workout regime. But we have this mentality of we want to be healthy and stronger. Um, but if there is pain, you have to deal with it before you can be healthy. And faith comes in to kind of do the same thing. Faith can be like Neosporin. It can uh, deal with the surface cuts of your life. But there's times where faith needs to be like heart surgery. That if you were to say you want to be healthy and your doctor said, well, we got to deal with that clog in your artery before your heart can fully function, you wouldn't say, nah, never mind. You'd say, let's deal with the heart surgery. To get to the blessings, we have to deal with what's blocking it. We have to deal with the curses and the sins that we have participated in and those before us have passed on to us. That we would deal with those patterns that prevent the blessings so that we can fully embrace all that God has intended for us. 
Um, this week I was introduced to a, an author, a psychologist that speaks on the same topic. See, I was approaching it purely from the scriptures and a spiritual landscape. But there is something inside of what's now called epigenetics that psychologists are using to analyze not only our parents, but our grandparents' physical impacts on our lives inside of our own DNA. There's a guy named Mark Wolin who wrote, It Didn't Start With You. And in his practice, he has learned to press into family history and family events inside of generations past because he says each of us have an ancestral alarm clock that will one day go off. that tends to follow in the same lineage and lines of our parents before us. And he's found that that is the thing that has freed people in his practice from depression and anxiety and these things that have destroyed their lives. I personally love to see how the world kind of catches up to God. (laughs) And so it can be intense, but it is important. Because it influences your life more every day than that 24-hour news cycle that you and I get obsessed with and distracted by. That the 24-hour news cycle will come and go, and it may affect you. But these generational blessings and curses are with you every day. And so that's why I sent the genogram out to you. And if you didn't receive it, give us your email address. We'd like to distribute it to you. It's a worksheet, a questionnaire that that allows you to ask these questions and do the personal work with God, to see him change your life. It's intense, but it's also mysterious. It can sound superstitious. The language of curses feels like, you know, Harry Potter kind of casting some mysterious spell over us. Is that true? And that's actually the conversation I had with a parent at my kid's school this week. Just a casual Tuesday morning PTA conversation. It started with a question that was bent around fear. The parent that was talking to me was describing her fear of flying. And I said, I don't have any fear of flying. She's like, really? No fear of flying? I'm like, I chose to get on the plane. I have zero control what happens next. All that I have control over is what I watch and how long I sleep. She said, well, what if something bad happens and it influences the people that you love? And my response was, well, my faith tells me that I believe that God will take anything tragic, anything bad, and he can heal and use it for good. And she asked this question that you and I ask regularly. Does he always do that? Does he always turn it for good? Or does sometimes it just stay bad? I said, man, that's the, that is the question. And as I wrestle with that, there is the scriptures that tell us that God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And those are these nice religious platitudes on our coffee cups that we want to remember and kind of wash over our lives as a warm blanket. But it's only partially true if we leave it as God is the one that has to do it. Because we want it to be where God does all the work for all the pain to make it good, and we just got to wait. We just got to wait for him to change everything. Instead of seeing that he says, you need to partner with me if you want to see this good come about. He does not let us off the hook because he wants us to be a part of the journey of transformation in our lives. And so in the midst of this mystery, God says, what will you do about what has happened to you? What will you do about what you've inherited? Because you have a choice to make. And it's the language of the scriptures and the pattern throughout. Inside of the kings, there's a king named Josiah. He is one of the last good kings of Israel before they're taken into captivity. His father and his grandfather before him were known for being one of the most evil kings 
that had ever existed in Israel's history. And he comes in, he has the law read, and he turns everyone into repenting for the sins of generations past. And God comes to speak to him and says, because you are like your father, David, he attaches him to the lineage of David, not his immediate lineage. And so while it may be mysterious, God sees how we choose to act inside of the lines of our history, choosing to either walk in the blessings and following him or choosing to walk in the path of curses. And we can redirect where it's headed. We get to choose. We get to choose. And as we've been in this upgrade sermon series, it's just a call for you to choose what will you do. Because it's not merely enough for you to hear the Word of God. It's not merely enough for you to hear these mysteries. The question is, what will you do with it? That's what James 1 says. James 1 says, you can hear anything all day long, good or bad. The question is, how do you receive it into your life and act upon it? In that same conversation, um, the, the parents said, this curses idea that you're talking about, um, is that like the Persian evil eye? And I was like, what is the Persian evil eye and how do I do it? <laughs> and she's saying inside of her culture, if someone is a hater in her language, um, on you, what they can do is they can choose to try to uh, make something bad happen in your life and then cast it upon you with an evil eye, you know, kind of like our side eye or our stink eye, right? And it's that mysterious idea that we think comes upon us. And I said, no, I don't think that that's true. I do think there's power in words. The scriptures say there's, the words have power of life and death. The question is, will you receive those words of death on you? Or will you reject them to receive the words of life from God? It's a language of scriptures. Will you choose life or choose death? It's up to you. And in this upgrade series, what will you choose? It may be mysterious, but what the scriptures reveal is that they influence us so much that God wanted to intervene. And that's where we ended last week. Looking at the fact that God intervened so powerfully through the work of Christ that he became a curse nailed to a tree, became your sin and the sins of those that are before you so that you would not have to walk in guilt and shame anymore, but that could be defeated and buried. And just like we sang, that the grave had no hold on us. It's empty and over. But he goes on to say there's a spirit of adoption that is now God saying, I claim you as my son or my daughter. And so you now have a new father and a new family. And inside of that, it's a new inheritance. And so we talked about how we could inherit curses. And good news, now we get to talk about inheriting the blessings. God chose you to walk in these blessings. And an attempt to try to understand these blessings that are found kind of in this language of you are now heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, which means that you can reign in life the same way that Christ did. And you can be confident in God and walk in the confidence of your faith the same way that Christ did. It is yours also. To understand this language of blessings and heirs, um, I want to use a metaphor of waves on the beach. I know some of that is because I just want my feet in the sand and warmth in the middle of a snowy weekend. But waves, I think, are helpful to understand this because waves, when you start off as a kid, are just fun. 
You just want to go in and splash around. Um, but as you grow up, you begin to discover that waves can be a little bit dangerous. There's an undertow. There's a riptide. That if you don't know how to navigate that idea that wave after wave can crash over you, instead of being fun, it can be dangerous. It can harm you. It can destroy you. And the same is true of God's blessings. That it's not merely enough for us to see them as things to enjoy, things to embrace, but we have to be wise enough to enjoy them and walk in them so that they don't crush us and crash over us. But in the same way, like waves, God's blessings on you are never ending. There are too many of you who think that God has this limited quota of blessings upon you. And he's hit the quota now, so I better be afraid because he's done. Instead of seeing like waves, they just never end. They keep coming and keep crashing on the shore. The question is, will you enjoy and walk in them, or will you stand on the beach and just see them from afar? God has invited you to not only enjoy the blessings, but learn to navigate them to the point that you could learn to surf them. That you could learn how the the full enjoyment of the wave is not merely in splashing around, but in tracking with it as it crashes. And then maybe some of you could kind of grow up to be that Nazare Portugal wave that's like as high as buildings. And you learn how to navigate massive blessing from God in a way that seeks to bless you and others. And in these waves of blessings, I want to highlight just four that I see that God promises to those of you who choose to be his heirs. And as I walk through these four, I want, to, I want you to ask the question, which are you experiencing right now? Which of these are you experiencing right now, and what is the upgrade that he's wanting you to see in them? Because God is patient with you as you learn. He is a good father that is not going to overwhelm you to the point that you don't know what to do. He's working in specific areas of your life. And the question is, can you identify, and are you self-aware enough to know God's doing this? How do I learn and walk in it? Which wave of blessing is crashing upon you now? The first is a wave of abundance. Heirs always receive inheritance. And in that language of the scripture, it's not something that you just receive when you die in our language of heirs. It's that when you are named an heir by adoption, you walk in it immediately. It is yours now, not just one day. And the waves of blessing, when we hear abundance... We tend to think of it in terms of wealth, but the abundance of God is far more than wealth, but it is never less than. And one of the best pictures of kind of understanding this is looking at the relationship of King David and Solomon. King David establishes Israel as a powerful force, defeats enemies, and then passes on the kingdom to his son, full of blessings, able to now build a temple for God after building a palace for the kingdom. And it is such an overwhelming amount of blessing that when God comes to Solomon, he recognizes that he can't just choose wealth. He must also choose wisdom. And so the wave of abundance that comes onto Solomon is both wisdom and wealth. And he leverages it as a way to worship God, as a way to demonstrate excellence to the nations around them that they begin to gather to Jerusalem to say, how do you operate as a country that is good for your people? How are you so hospitable that people feel welcomed and loved in the midst of this? How can we learn from you and take it with us? Solomon was beginning to fill the promises given to Abraham that they'd be blessed to be a blessing. 
Unfortunately, while he walked in that wave of abundance well, eventually it crushed him. David passed on a strong and successful kingdom. Solomon passed on a divided and a kingdom to be destroyed. Because in his blessing, in his abundance, he turned away from his God. And he began to worship foreign gods. Foreigners gathered to it to say, tell us about your God and how he's led you to be so excellent and wonderful and beautiful. And Solomon just turned and said, well, tell me about your God instead. See, sometimes when we're blessed with abundance, if we don't use it in line with worship of God and giving back to him in generosity, it crushes us because we turn away from him. We no longer leverage it as a way to advance his kingdom. We leverage it as a way to advance our kingdoms. And so a wave of abundance can come to you. The question is, will you embrace it? Will you walk in it or will you let it destroy your soul? See, Jesus tells the story of a rich man who had such an abundance that he said, you know what I'll do? I'm going to build bigger barns and storehouses because I can't keep everything in here. And so I'm going to build bigger barns and storehouses and I'm going to keep them. And as a result, after I build them, I'm going to say to my soul, relax and be satisfied. You are secure. And God comes that very night and says, I demand of your soul tonight and you will no longer experience your storehouses. See, with, when we receive abundance, we begin to pursue security so that we can tell our souls, you're going to be okay. And so we find our security in storehouses and abundance instead of the God who gave it. It eventually will destroy your soul. That's the danger of mammon and money, as we've talked about, is that it will demand your soul, and it will not deliver back to you. But God will demand your soul, but he will always deliver back to you. That's why we need to learn to navigate this wave of abundance by leveraging it with generosity, by leveraging the abundance of wisdom for excellence without pressuring people into some level of perfection, but offering and empowering them for excellence in this life. That's what God has offered to us in this wave of abundance. The second wave is a wave of power. A wave of power. So in Romans chapter 8... It says, you have not received a spirit of slavery falling back into fears, but you've received a spirit of adoption into being sons of God. It's a wave of power. Power over your phobias. That's the language of fear. Power over your phobias so that you can walk in victory as sons of God. Phobias have a voice. And so does God. Here it says, if you walk as sons of God, you hear his voice, Abba, Father, intimate, close, direct, the same way you hear your phobias. And your phobias are speaking to you and calling out to you to be their slaves and they are your master, to tell you what to do and how to live and act on your fear. How's that working out for you? Fear never guides you into victory. But the promise with the Spirit is that in your weakness, you will be strong. Immediately after verse 17, it says, And the Spirit helps you in your weakness in this way. It prays for you when you don't know how to pray. It talks to God for you when you don't know how to talk to God. 
And we think of prayer as sending requests. The Spirit thinks of prayer as receiving answers. See, fear comes when we don't know what to do, when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel like it's going to crash on us and destroy us. Phobias enter in to tell us it's not going to be okay unless. And in that middle of that weakness, if we choose to turn to God instead, the Spirit can interact with God on our behalf to tell us what to do, where to go, who to speak to, how to act. It communicates a level of trust and an ability to say the God, the all-powerful God of the universe is close enough to act on your behalf. Our phobias say choose your own power and your own effort. God says, let me give you my power and my strength in your weakness. This is the wave of power that is coming onto you, but you have to act. As you navigate in the middle of this wave, you have to turn to God. You have to turn to God. The scriptures tell us to cast our anxieties upon the Lord. See, our anxiety is going to be cast somewhere. They're going to be cast on uh, the vices that never give us victory. Or they're going to be cast upon God who can give us the true and ultimate victory. See, vices and your fears tell you to run and numb yourself. There's a new Netflix show you got to binge right now so you can escape the things you got to do. Alcohol, sex, all kinds of vices. And God says, I am the one that can fill that void. And I'm the powerful one that can not only fill the void, but also give you the victory over this issue. You have to turn to God. But secondly, you have to train with God. See, God gives you power by his spirit, so you need to learn how to wield it. The same way if you were going to go surfing, very few of us would just grab a board, swim out there, and think, this is going to go well. But we get a coach, we get a trainer that tells us when is the moment for us to get into our stance. How do we balance on the board? When is the moment for us to recognize it? Better, we better get off or it's going to crash. The most successful of surfers never stop getting coached and learning. The most successful wielders of the power of God never stop training. They never stop seeking how to accomplish the power of God, channeling and moving through me in a way that can bring hope and healing to every single person around me. God has poured out gifts on this congregation. Some of you have received gifts in the speaking of tongues, gifts in healing, gifts in teaching, gifts in prophetic words. We've, God has given you some weapons. <laughs> and if you don't wield them well, you hurt other people. He's poured out prophetic words, and when people go and use them and wield them without care, it's harmful. It hurts. When people teach in a way that is confusing or harmful, it hurts. As he pours out gifts on you, will you come to be trained with God? Will you come and let him refine that power into something effective and beautiful? He wants to empower you. It's a wave of power flowing to you, but will you choose to let it be a blessing on your life so it doesn't crush you? So waves of abundance, waves of power. And the third is waves of promises. Waves of promises. In Romans 11, 
it says that in adoption, you and I are now grafted into a new lineage, a new family tree that goes all the way back to the establishment of God's people in Israel and Abraham. That that is our new roots. It says it's your roots that now supplies your success. It supplies your fruit. And so it says there that you are now in line with Israel. And Paul says that all the promises are only found in Israel. They're only found in being in the people of God. And so when you place your faith in Christ, you have a new family tree that you now live in. Which means that you have new heroes. You have new stories to celebrate. Because those stories just demonstrate what, God, what the scriptures say, that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. That they are for you now, just like they were for them back then. And so you have these new stories that you get to read about. And the stories that you and I celebrate are the stories that we eventually live. The heroes in your own family tree, they tell a story about how successful your family can be if you choose to follow in their line. In the same way, the scriptures tell story after story about what it looks like for people to place their faith in God and to receive his blessings. I've heard from a number of you that you've chosen to read the Bible through for the first time. That is an amazing and hard challenge. Power through numbers, it gets better. But this alters the way you read the scriptures. It's no longer a history lesson. It's your very own 23andMe family story. Because it begins to tell you the stories of what it looks like when people are facing unbelievable odds, but they trust in God. That when it looks like you don't have what it takes for the victory, like Gideon, God can overcome with the smallest of resources and the smallest of community. It tells you these stories so that you can embrace them as promises for you. But again, we have to actually do the work of saying, who is God and how does he operate? How does my father and this family tree dictate the way that I live my life now? Waves of abundance, waves of power, waves of promises. But last and most importantly is the waves of presence. The waves of presence. See, the the spirit of adoption says that you and I will cry out, Abba, Father. This changes the way that we view God at work in our life. Abba, Father, is the most intimate language that you can be used to describe a relationship between father and child. It is the language of daddy. It's a language of a little kid running to their parents, ready to be picked up and embraced. And if you've ever noticed a child in their most fearless form, they're typically being held by a parent that loves them. And that's the invitation of this wave of God presence over and over and over again for you to experience God as your intimate father, which means that he can speak directly to you to give you direction when you need it. He can comfort you in your times of greatest need and greatest hurt, that he can be the one closest to you in that moment. That is the language of the spirit of adoption. And what I want you to hear most on this is how great, how, how uh, the amount of worth that God bestows upon you. God sees you as so valuable that he didn't want to be a distant God of a foreign people. 
but he wanted to be your father, close to you, intimate with you, so much that he gave his only son to die on your behalf in order that you could be reunited and his spirit could be within you. So that just like the promises that Jesus spoke about the spirit, that he would never leave you nor forsake you, you would know that your father would never leave you nor forsake you. That's how you live as a child instead of like an orphan or a slave. In religious environments, we often fall into living as a slave. Doing for God, but never believing that he delights in us. Or doing for God, hoping that maybe if we do enough, then he'll delight in us and he'll give what I want. Or an orphan that doubts that God even cares. That rebels in hopes that they might experience a God who intervenes, even if it's punishment or discipline. Instead of living as a child, knowing that when you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a snake. Knowing that your father sees your needs before you ask and he's ready to deliver on them. He says, that's how much worth you have is that I will make you a temple of the living God that you don't have to go some far place to be in the temple, but you yourself are the temple and I am your father ready to meet with you at any time. See, with this language of waves, I'm not trying to make you the best surfer in the world of these blessings. I'm not trying to make you kind of this alter this New York achievement mindset into a religious context that you achieve the best way to use God's abundance, the best way to use God's power, the best way to use God's presence in your life. I want you to be able to navigate it so well that you actually experience the promise of joy when you play in his waves. That you can go out into the waves with peace, not worried that they'll ever stop, not worried that they'll crush you, but you know how to play with your Father in heaven. Because you don't just have the best surfer in the world training you, you have the designer of the waves. You have the one who made them, just like he made you. And he wants to bring them together in such a way that you experience the family blessings inside the new family with a new father by a new spirit no longer falling back into fear, but walking in the power of God forever. And so these last two weeks have been about you being cleansed of the curses of your life by the power of the cross. That whatever you have done or your parents or grandparents have done, the cross speaks a word that says it is finished and done. That the shedding of the blood forgives all sin against you and acted on by you. And the resurrection now says you get to walk in a new family. Your father claims you. He chose you because he loves you. And so he adopted you. So now you can walk in the fullness of blessings and have the greatest of joys. So let's pray. Father, like Daniel in chapter 9, 
of his book, We Repent of all rejection and rebellion against you in our own lives and those of our parents and generations before them. We turn from them so that we can receive the promise of the Holy Spirit in full measure so that we can walk in the full blessings that you offer. And God, right now, I ask that your Spirit would press upon the hurting and the hindrances, that you would remove sin and harm that has been done by rebellion so that there would be nothing that blocks your blessing in the lives of these people. I pray, Abba, Father, that your love for each of us would flow now, washing over us, cleansing us of bad ideas of you so that we can walk in newness of life as your sons and your daughters, heirs of the eternal blessings now. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.